Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's up the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. The middle of the middle. The middle of the middle. The middle of a war! Friggin' ridiculous! Why don't we have a seat talk about? No! Not the middle seat! Film fans, assemble for the latest episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm your Captain America tonight, Andrew Roger. Let's meet my other Avengers who are here to talk about some big, big, big movies tonight, or a singular movie, I should say. He radiates with the beauty of the Soul Stone, and I'd certainly sacrifice myself for him, Mr. Nate Longarini. da 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 Hello, everyone. Good to be with you. Thought you were going to go into the Lone Ranger theme there. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the right genre, Drew. <laughs> no, I know. I, that's why I was checking you. A- anyway, if we had to pick an Avenger he most resembled, it'd be Mantis because he's beautiful, but just on the inside. Mr. Jay Kensler. Well done. Aww. Well done. I was not sure where you were going to go. There's so many options. All right. It's a roller coaster. All right. You know what? She held her own against Thanos with some help. So Yeah, she did a pretty good job. You've given me worse. Anyway, if you're just joining us for the first time on the Middle Seeds Podcast, our show typically divided into three separate segments. Yada, yada, yada. That's our usual structure. We're going to throw all of that out the window today because we have one topic to talk about And it's the one on everybody's mind across the film community. We are going very, very deep with Avengers Endgame. God, seems like a thousand years ago. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. I saw all these people die. I keep telling everybody they should move on. Some do. Not us. Even if there's a small chance, we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Avengers Endgame is the 22nd Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. It's directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, their fourth movie in the series. It's part two of the Infinity Saga epic. And before we go any further, this is kind of a given. We are going to spoil details from Infinity War here in the early part of the podcast. We're not going to talk about spoilers about Endgame until a couple of minutes from now. We're not going to go any further than generally what you know from the trailers, which is basically picking up in the pieces after Infinity War. The Avengers lost the fight to Thanos. He snapped his fingers. He disintegrated half of life across the universe. That leaves just the original Avengers and a few stragglers to pick up the pieces to protect and avenge the universe. So guys, what has been said about this movie that hasn't already been said? We've been looking forward to it for so long at this point. I know all of us have seen it multiple times. Let's just get straight into it. Jake Kensler preliminary thoughts on Avengers Endgame. It's bigger. It's better. It's too much for Mr. Incredible. <laughs> it's a good movie. I'm a fan. Um, yeah. Wow. What an experience. I've seen it twice. Hell of an experience. I think 
unfortunately, I'll have to wait a few minutes. My favorite parts were more or less in the third act, but what a conclusion to really the biggest genre and saga of our generation. My friends have been making fun of me. I've been talking about this movie so much that they've been making fun of me. At one point was like, Jake, is this like the biggest movie event of our generation? And I was like, actually it is. And I started to talk about it and everybody started laughing. And I was like, all right, listen, I'm super excited for this. Like they've all just been making fun of me, but yeah, it was great. Um, it was different than I expected, truthfully. Each act is very different from each other. Like they're obviously connected, but the tones are different. And that threw me off a little bit, but definitely a top five Marvel movie. Curious to see how it holds up in, in the future and years from now, but everybody's loving it. I'm included in there. I'll say a lot more in the spoilers, but a roller coaster and a really good roller coaster. Right. Obviously, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> There's a very good chance if you're listening to this, you've seen it just by sheer math yeah, percentages. Imagine. Nate Lungarini, what did you think of Avengers Endgame? This is effectively a season finale that has been more than 10 years in the making. And my God, do the Russo brothers deliver. Everyone, actors, uh, effects-wise, story-wise, it just culminates into an awesome, awesome movie. I loved Infinity War. It was my favorite movie of last year because it just did so much. And this movie does a lot more, (laughs) Um, quite a lot with all the characters in places that you expect and that you want to see and then completely subverts expectation for other pieces of the movie in ways that are surprising and engaging for the audience. Really, really solid movie. Time will tell to see where it stacks up in the overall rankings of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's up there as one of my favorites. It's just really, really good. Yeah. I think it's hard for all of us to talk about where it will land in the legacy because we're so fresh off of it. And Jake, you're absolutely right when it feels like the biggest movie of our generation. Like that seems to be hard for some people to fathom, but people don't really get that for a a whole generation now, this is their Star Wars. Yeah. This movie had a lot to do. Avengers Infinity War, it had so much to do on its own, kind of like Nate was saying. I know in the uh, the Honest Trailers by Screen Junkies, they talk about how it's like, it might not be the best Marvel movie, but it's definitely the most Marvel movie. <laughs> and, and you know what? It balanced it all right. really well. But I think what's so impressive about Endgame is that it has a lot more to do, but for me personally, it felt more focused, more character-based, and just even more surprising than I was expecting. I think that's the key word that I would use here that I really am really happy about is that whatever you think was going to happen in this, May have happened in some degree, but in generally speaking, this movie takes a lot of chances, is just absolutely balls to the wall, insane at points, and just does some really creative things with these characters that we know and love. It's rousing, it's epic, it's entertaining, it's a really emotional finale. It wraps things up really well, but it also sets the tone for the future extremely well. As, and that has to all be done in three hours, and the fact that they accomplish everything they did I want to give, like, obviously props to the Russo brothers for everything that they had to handle, but also the screenwriters, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who have now written Captain America Civil War, Captain America the Winter Soldier, and these two, along with the Russo brothers. That's an impressive lineup of movies, and the fact that all four of these talents came together and put together what a lot of people thought was impossible. Yeah. And just to see it completely dominate the world like this, it's unbelievable from where we started and where we're at right now. You're absolutely right. Because my my mom said something about how I didn't understand how big Titanic was when it came out. 
And I'm like, no, I actually, I, I understand very well. I went to see a movie twice that within 10 days will beat Titanic's all time gross. <laughs> it's definitely a different shade of audience, but for yes. sure. Yeah. This is a literal phenomenon. My dad was talking about, he, he missed it opening weekend and he was going to go see it on a Tuesday. I'm like, did you buy tickets already? And he was like, no, it's a Tuesday. I'll be fine. I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> yeah. No, and yeah. I was right. He could not get his eat. It's crazy. But we should talk about this for a second. No Marvel movie is rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, correct? correct. Even the ones that are frowned upon are positive. Yeah. Somewhere. And they're not like even teetering. They're like high 60s, not low 60s. Right. It, they're all positive and they've all been successful to an extent at the box office. So in all intents and purposes, whether you as a viewer personally liked or disliked some of the Marvel movies, they've all generally been successful. That's remarkable. Right. 22 movies, all successful in one way or another. Mm-hmm. That's unprecedented, never been heard of. And I, as of now, will be campaigning for Kevin Feige's honorary Oscar because that man has accomplished what nobody has done before. Yeah. So getting to him for a second, and Nate, I'll let you jump in in a minute, but maybe the Marvel movies aren't masterpieces overall of cinematic filmmaking. They're not the greatest achievement ever in movies, but they may be the greatest achievement ever in producing like what Kevin Feige has done to assemble all these actors and get mm. these stories made is remarkable and astounding. Look at DC. It's very obvious that this is not easy to do. Not even close. Yeah, it's very obvious <laughs> that this is difficult. Oh my goodness. It's so cool that this has been a decade long project. We grew up on it. There's generations that literally grew up on it with getting toys and possibly seeing their first PG-13 movie was a Marvel movie. That's just really cool to think about. And uh, it's just setting up this whole new era of film where, yeah, we can have effectively a very long, drawn-out TV series play out on the big screen. Yeah. And to have it end in such a fireworks display of a good movie, <laughs> that and that's what Endgame is, is really, really cool. Really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. I, and really, after not, not my first viewing, my second viewing, after I had gotten my emotions and I knew what to expect and I, I was processing enough, I came out of my second viewing and I was like, I will miss these characters and storylines and trilogies. Right. And that's the reason this movie is so powerful and emotionally resonant because of how long we've stuck with them. And just to like to think about where, how we got from point A to point Z with a lot of these characters, just to see how they react to everything that happens here, these earth-shattering events that are happening throughout this movie and the previous movie, it's just special. It's like reading comic books because you get so invested in 50-plus years of a history of a character. Obviously, we we minimize that to 11, but that's like 50 years in Hollywood terms and franchise terms. Yeah, 11 years. It's different than Terminator and Transformers coming out with another one and another one and another one. It's so much different. Right, and people talk about like how the adaptations of the comics, they're not exactly the same. You know, they change little details to make it more cinematic. But in many ways, these are the best adaptations of comic books ever because they capture the spirit of the characters incredibly well and they Mm -hmm. capture the spirit of comic telling and what it means to be a hero extremely well. Absolutely. I also think it's fascinating that there are gods and monsters and space stuff in this universe and yet it all still feels relatable and grounded in reality. So So like talking about Endgame... These heroes lost. And regardless of how many planets we've been to with these characters, we still feel for them. And we feel for their their families and everybody that they lost. And it's it's just insane that how Marvel's been able to do that. And that's just the first 10 minutes of Endgame, just getting back to that and 
seeing where they're at and feeling with them and almost somehow mourning with them over all these characters. You know, Tony losing Spider-Man, being stuck in space, maybe never seeing Pepper again. That's just, that's crazy and really emotional stuff for a superhero movie to tackle and tackle well. Right, and it works because of all the groundwork set behind. It's just so good right. that this movie can just get up and go. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. There is no letdown. You want to talk about bathroom breaks. There is no good spot no. to go to the bathroom <laughs> in this three-hour movie. No. <laughs> because all of it is so important. Yeah. God, poor editor. I don't know how you decide what to take out. I'm usually not a huge fan of these because DC has been using them to kind of crop up a bad movie. But I would kill for a director's cut of this that's like four hours long. I would love to see that. Uh, Because there's so much more that that we could explore in this movie um, that it got to start cutting somewhere. Just while we are in the spoiler-free section, I do want to give shout-outs to Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson for their performances, Um, especially in the first act, the post-snap world. I thought they did such a great job just showing how impossible it is for these heroes who have tried so hard to protect uh, the planet the people they care about, everyone, and to see them fail and then struggle in the aftermath of their failure, they just do such a rock-solid job. I agree. Like, people have been talking about all the emotional parts of the movie, and there absolutely are. When you get to the finale, there's there's stuff. But I almost felt even harder in the first 10 minutes seeing those characters breaking down. Really, really good stuff. Right. Because we've gotten so accustomed to seeing them win— the idea of making these Earth Mightiest Heroes lose is just such an interesting concept that is just so obvious, but that really no movies have done. If you no, because really every movie it. we've seen them and they, they win, opposed to Infinity yeah. War. Not even just the MCU, but just superhero movies in general. There's at least some kind of moral victory at the end. It's really yeah. like nothing, you know, nothing else. The only one that comes close is Watchmen, kind of. And mm, uh, I've yeah. never seen it. I, I'm not. I'm not spoiling <laughs> anything. Um, but even then, the movie ends. Like there's a definitive ending to the movie. What made Infinity War so crazy was that the movie stopped, but we had so many questions and really made us anxious for this movie. I'm gonna co-sign the Downey Jr. and Johansson praise because I think they are both doing exceptional work. But I also was really impressed with some of the other actors that I wasn't expecting, really, too. Like, Paul Rudd, I think, does a really, really good job here. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. he's always funny, but he shows a little emotional range as well, which is different for him. I think Renner a little bit as well, Jeremy Renner. That's who, that was the other one I was They all say, step yeah. up their game, definitely. It's good to be with a shortened cast because more people are getting attention. I mean, you can say that there were standout performances in Avengers Infinity War, but it's, it's back to the main core with a couple of stragglers and they are all on their game. All six of them. I was very impressed with Yeah. Them. Even, honestly, voiceover. Bradley Cooper is Rocket. A lot of good stuff. I think you're right. More actors getting more work to do, and we can see their range. Even in fun, generally upbeat superhero movies like this, they get a lot of good stuff in. But, yeah, yeah. I I would say uh, I was very impressed with Scarlett Johansson. I remember everybody does good work, but I remember specifically thinking I was surprised by her her range in this one. Yeah, she's able to show different shades of that character that you don't often see. You know, she's not used to this kind of emotion welling up in her. So you can Mm -hmm. see that with her performance and stuff. We can get into the specifics of why she's feeling a lot of that as we head towards the spoiler section, because this movie is one big walking spoiler. It's an atomic bomb, and reviewing Mm -hmm. it is like walking through a mineshaft 
right now. So we need to move on. Let's get into our general ratings, guys. If you're just joining us for the first time on the Middle Seas Podcast, we rate movies on the seat scale. If we think a movie is amazing, it has virtually no flaws. We had an amazing time with it. We give it a royal throne. If it's a movie with really, really good stuff in it, we give it a plush recliner. If it's a movie that we think is pretty good but has some pretty major flaws, we give it a wooden seat. If it's a movie with minor good things in it but mostly bad stuff, we give it a damp lawn chair. If it's a movie with like no redeemable qualities about it whatsoever, we give it a sleazy outhouse. And if we think you need to see it on a big screen with an audience, we give it a bag of popcorn monitor. Okay, duh. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) they shot the whole movie in IMAX. I think from your tone, we'll probably all be giving it a bag of popcorn. But what about our ratings? Nate Longarini. Alrighty, so this is a tough one to rate just because it's a series finale, just like it's a TV show finale. And there's just so much at stake here that it's hard to remove yourself from the hype, Uh, especially for a movie like this that is arguably the most hyped movie of our generation, easily of the decade, I think is fair to say. So I am going to go with a plush recliner. Very much a high-end one. Um, I'm going to dump heaps of praise on this movie. But I think at the end of the day, there's just some aspects of the movie that take a little bit more time to think about. There is some structure stuff that doesn't, like, connect with you the first time. Like, I did need to see it twice to really understand how some of the mechanics of the plot worked and to wrap my head around what they do with some of the characters. And it also is competing in my head with Infinity War, which I thought was a great movie and also kind of worked as its own movie. Now, I don't agree with the criticism that this movie needs to be rated as its own movie because, no, do your homework, watch the other 21 movies... Yeah, this movie shouldn't have a detraction in the rating just because it doesn't work as a standalone movie. No one would say that about Lord of the Rings. No one would say that about any of the Star Wars movies. Like, it's just it's just not fair to say. It's dumb. You're being nice. <laughs> that said, <laughs> I think I liked I think I liked uh, Infinity War a little bit more just because it gave us something so different with what they did with Thanos as essentially the main character there that it elevated up to to a really awesome movie. This one is almost there, just not quite. That said, still really loved it. Obviously, bag of popcorn. Uh, see this in the biggest theater you can, maybe even multiple times. I don't know. Marvel isn't sponsoring us or anything, but it'd be nice. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> be a weird way to do it after we'd already seen it four, five times each. <laughs> I think Nate likes Infinity War more because it's basically Thanos collecting Pokemon of Infinity Stones. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. I think that's it's the my reasoning. OCD kicking in. Exactly. Uh, Jake, what do you think? Uh, very, very similar to Nate. So I have Infinity War as like the highest plush recliner you can get, and Endgame's basically there with it. So is Winter Soldier and Civil War. Russo brothers are my favorite Marvel directors by a long shot. This movie is awesome. It does so much good, very little wrong. But kind of like Nate said there. The structure threw me off the first time I saw it. I was just not really expecting them to do certain things. And then there are, technically, this is a spoiler, so I can't say it just yet. A couple more minutes. <laughs> um, but something they do in the plot kind of makes me scratch my head and go, but what if? But I don't understand why. Um, so right now, I'm like a super duper high-end plus recliner. I was hoping this would be my first Marvel Royal Throne. 
Uh, it just has to settle for as good as the rest of the best. This is a, another outstanding entry in the Marvel Universe. It's a great movie overall, top to bottom. Uh, we've said all this stuff before. It's a large bag of popcorn with Junior Mints, Reese's Pieces, maybe a, a Nathan's Hot Dog if feeling crazy, a slushy, like whatever you want. It, it's you got to go see this in the theater multiple times, IMAX, Dolby, maybe drive-in, I don't care. You got to see this in the theater. If if you're not, you're ignorant. <laughs> Bold moves from Jake Henson. <laughs> They'll put that on the poster. Oh, my God. Critics are raving <laughs> about Avengers Endgame, but maybe not about the detractors. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I've been thinking where this lands in the pantheon of Marvel movies recently, like a lot, because it's really hard to judge as its own isolated thing. My favorite two Marvel movies as of now are Captain America Civil War and The Avengers. If you look at Captain America Civil War, it combines like incredible spectacle with like really thought-provoking character work, really dense and well-executed superhero storytelling. If you look at The Avengers, it doesn't really have that dense storytelling, but man does it make up for it in spectacle and awesome interactions. And you take all of those elements and you put them together and you stretch it out even more, that's pretty much what Avengers Endgame is. In contrast to Infinity War, which I still really, really like, it's definitely a top five or six Marvel movie for me, but it's very much go, go, go. You don't get a lot of chance to breathe. And that's, I think, half of the equation of what makes Marvel movies different from any other superhero movie. It's the difference between Marvel and DC is that we buy the chemistry between all of these different superheroes and we understand that there is a chance that they could be in the same universe. Not even to pick on just DC, like the Fantastic Four movies can barely get this right. Mm -hmm. It's just a thing that Marvel has cornered the market of. And Endgame with the extra runtime and the shortened character list, but the focus on the main characters that have been there since the beginning, seeing them interact again, seeing how they react to these earth-shattering consequences, it's just, it's a trip. It's an unbelievable trip. And as far as a season slash series finales go, I think this is as good as they could have done. So grading it on that scale, grading it on the Marvel scale, grading it on where it stands as far as superhero movies go and what it's trying to accomplish, it's got to be a royal throne for me because it just feels so special and so unique and surprising. And the fact that this doesn't underwhelm me but actually overwhelms me the other way is just it's just a special movie. And I think it'll be even more special in the context of the entire four-hour saga or five-hour saga, actually. Royal Throne, bedazzled with Infinity Stones. See it in the biggest screen possible. See it with a crowd if you can. You'll still have a little bit of opportunity to do that. It'll be probably out till August. Yeah. So those are our non-spoiler thoughts, but guys, we got a lot to talk about. So let's buckle down and get into the spoiler section of Avengers Endgame. Here we go. Whoa. Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Excuse me, spoiler alert. So we had a little bit of a pre-show discussion to talk about how to tackle this because when I go home and I try to like watch movies after I try to do notes and I try to list my top five moments of favorite moments from the movie, just kind of, I remember the moments that really stuck out to me. That was impossible with this movie. Like it's impossible to pick five specific moments that are your favorites because really that becomes 15 to 20 moments. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take you on a trip down memory lane, if you've seen Avengers Endgame, and kind of go chronologically, talk about all the different acts, because there's three separate acts, 
and they all are each very distinct. Act one is the immediate aftermath of Avengers Infinity War. You know, the heroes try to save the world. They try to, you know, get the stones back. It doesn't work. And then they have to, five years later, they have to pick it up and figure out what they're going to do next. The second act is the time travel aspect where they jump around and go get the stones in different parts of time. And then the third act is the big extravaganza with sacrifices and huge action sequences and applause worthy moments and chills galore. So we'll get to all that in a bit. We're going to make you wait a little. Let's get into that first hour. And really a lot of this movie is about grief, guys. So, Jake, I guess, like, how did you feel about the first 10 minutes and then everything that came after that as far as the reaction and the big time jump? Well, first off, I I like how they just threw you into it in the opening with Hawkeye losing his family, which I had a feeling. But I think we all kind of predicted. Yeah. And it was very effective because it's, it's it's such a happy moment at first, too. It's just him teaching his daughter how to shoot a bow and arrow, the kids playing ball, having a barbecue, little jokes about hot dogs, cute, funny, nice, you know what's coming, and it still hits you so hard with really Jeremy Renner's good acting. Because you could tell he's so lost. Hawkeye has no idea what the hell just happened. So all of a sudden his family's just gone. Such a great opening. The direction is awesome too, the way that the camera whips around and stuff so that we don't actually see the dusting. We just see the aftermath. It it directly puts you, the audience, in that position. Like, if you weren't a superhero, you weren't in Wakanda. You have no idea who the heck the big, bad purple guy is. It would be devastating. Absolutely devastating. Absolutely. So, yeah, I thought that was a great opening shot. Um, But then, uh, truthfully, I was a little more okay with it the second time viewing. But the first viewing, I thought there was a five to ten minute stretch that was a little rushed. Tony in space to finding Thanos and beheading him. I felt like that was a little, just a little bit too fast. I wanted a little bit more time to sit and figure out what the hell is actually going on. I, I don't know, Jake. I actually, I'll, I'd push back on that. I feel like the glimmer of hope that they figure out where Thanos is mm-hmm. only to have that hope extinguished when they kill him and nothing's changed, everyone's still dead, is so much more emotionally powerful than needing to grieve first and then find Thanos and then grieve again. Well, I'm, I meant more of uh, this is the first time Tony and Cap are seeing each other. This is the first time they're meeting Captain Marvel. This is the first, like, I wanted just a couple more figure something out. It was just like, that felt very go, go, go. And that was not the rest of the movie. It just felt a little off. Mm. I'm, I'm more with Nate. I like the overwhelming rush of them trying to jump into action because that's exactly what they would do. That's true. I mean, they have to find a way to get them back from space and back into space. I also understand from a behind-the-scenes perspective, they, the editors and directors and writers have a lot to accomplish. Right. So I also understand from that that standpoint. But for me, it felt like like almost whiplash. Like, whoa, we're, that was the first 15 minutes? Yeah, Oops, I just okay. love that, like, Cap's like, let's go get this son of a bitch. And they go to the hard cut, and it's like, yeah, they're going to go get him. Yeah, And then game. it's like, oh, mm-hmm. this didn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I think it really worked for, for Thor, because great pivot. Thor in the first act becomes fat, and I was like, nice. I think one of the funniest jokes or insults in the whole movie is Rocket going, you look like melted ice cream. <laughs> that was <laughs> that awesome. Was that whole scene is a really nice balance of comedy and drama, because I... I I love Korg, and I'm so happy he he's made so a response. Good. Yeah. And he's yelling at children over Fortnite. And- yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that whole scene worked. Because it's just perfect. Chris Hemsworth, probably the hottest guy in the world right now playing the ultimate Avenger, is fat. 
It's just great. Banner balancing Hulk is a really interesting direction for that character. You guys can step in. I feel like I've suddenly started to dictate this. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I have thoughts. The two decisions they made with Hulk and Thor. So we'll tackle them one by one. Yeah. Thor completely going depressed and drinking himself into a melted ice cream round shape here. Definitely is played off as a mix between comedy and like, oh my God, look how far they've fallen. And it totally makes sense, like character-wise, like he took his loss hard. Yeah. But it just kind of struck me odd that we had two really great movies where Thor came into his own in Thor Ragnarok, especially, and then even more in Infinity War for him to like rise up as a leader, rise up as someone who will rise to the challenge no matter how difficult, no matter what he loses. He loses his hammer in Ragnarok and he he loses his family in Infinity War, but he comes and rises to the challenge. And for them to kind of not exactly undercut that whole arc, but definitely take a very hard left turn and have him kind of played off his comedy slash look how far he's fallen was definitely a little off for me. It took me a really long time to get into that. And even then, I feel like if I was in charge of the movie, I probably wouldn't have written it the same way. But it was definitely a bold choice. Yeah. It's kind of like a, him beheading Thanos is the last straw. You know what I mean? Like, the world has beaten him down. There's that beautiful scene in Infinity War where he talks about, if we lose, what more can I lose? And it turns out there was more to lose. Mm -hmm. Like... <laughs> It's just, it's that hopelessness. And the whole movie is about, especially the first act is about how characters deal with grief. And it's really interesting how each of them deal with it in a different way. Like Hulk finds, makes peace with himself coming to a compromise. While Thor is just, he's the guy that took the three pointer and rimmed it out at the buzzer. He's still dealing with that. And the fact that he saw billions of people die basically because of something that he messed up with. And Thor's always been kind of vaguely an alcoholic. So the fact that he's kind of like <laughs> full-on alcoholic now, it just, mm -hmm. it worked well for me. I would have liked to see a little bit differentiation by the third act. He's fat, emotional Thor for the whole movie. Like, if he was fat, emotional in the first act, we, we introduce him, getting through it in the second act. And the third act, maybe, you know, he does slim down a little bit somehow, or he mm. returns to form a little bit more, just I, a little bit. I'm okay bit. with them staying fat. Yeah, me too. Especially because what they do in the third act with that scene, and we'll get there. But I think it was what you just mentioned, Jake, where he kind of continued to break down even when they were in mission mode in the second act. Yeah, I want and a little more differentiation. Kind of like, he was redoing what they did in Iron Man 3 with Tony Stark, where he was just completely pausing because of a panic attack. And I feel like that wasn't as necessary. I feel like they could have had him move on at that but point. But that scene with his mother is so important, though, to contextualizing Absolutely. the entire arc. It's about him realizing that he is never going to be the king of Asgard. He is a hero. He's the guy that you call in to close things out. He's the big, powerful... He's certainly a hero, but he's not a leader. And I think he's finally realized that. But that was that was all of Ragnarok, though, wasn't it? Odin kind of saying, like, like Yo, you're stronger than I am. You're leading these people. He saved them from Ragnarok. I thought that was more him just, it's the it's kind of the Iron Man 3 again. Take away the suit of armor, what are you, from Iron Man 3. Take away your hammer, what are you. That was more what I got from Thor Ragnarok. Less that, not him becoming the king per se, more him becoming the god of thunder. 
it's more for me it was more fulfilling his powers than fulfilling the role that he was supposed to step into and then still throwing it away at the beginning of the movie and using stormbreaker as yeah. a glorified beer opener <laughs> yeah there's a little bit of kind of back and forth with how they decided to go with thor i just would have liked to see a little differentiation other than fat and emotional i i feel like i'm slightly more annoyed with what they did with hulk than i am with thor because the thors at least make sense yeah but i feel honestly like a little blue balled by what they did with hulk <laughs> because every single movie he's shown up in he's gone through a different phase in his relationship with the hulk and he's been struggling trying to control this monster and then to have him fix his problem off screen in between movies it just rubbed me the wrong way. Like, you know, like, I really like this character and I really like Ruffalo's role in it. I feel like he really embodied someone fighting with anger inside him all the time. And to just have him be, like, a cute puppy character um, who also happened to be big and strong and green, it it was very jarring and I feel like it was deserved. We should have gotten a Professor Hulk this movie, um, but I just wish we saw him come to terms with it on screen rather than off screen as a as a sight gag when we did that transition to the cafe. Yeah, they treat it like a sight gag at the beginning, but again, that kind of, it does roll into more important stuff later. Like, he has two very key scenes in this entire movie that, like, one in the second act and one in the third act. I don't disagree with you, but I also don't think we, again, we're pushing three hours here. I just don't know how that would have fit into the pacing, you know what I mean? Because they're playing these these big shifts, it's jarring. Like the way that we cut into, and this is a good transition into how Tony's life has changed. Which, you know, out of everybody, especially the way we see him in the first 10, 15 minutes, where by the way, they made it, they did a great job making him look like crap. Like they, oh my they, god, yeah. he was so skinny. Yeah, yeah, they did an excellent job with that. And I don't know if that was CG or makeup or whatever, but they like that was awesome. Yeah, very malnourished. Out of everybody, he's the one that's been predicting this for years. He's been preparing for it. And he's still lost. Wouldn't you think he would be the most broken one? So to just turn that on its head and he's the one that's moved on was a really surprising and really smart subversion because it also makes sense that if Pepper survived, she would be his rock like she's been for years. Right. And mm-hmm. now that he has he has a kid, he's like, listen, I this all sucks, but I've found good in it. So right. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, and I, I really did like what they did with with Tony. I think it, it fit and made a lot of sense. Yeah, Iron Man has been my favorite character, I think, since the first one came out throughout this entire MCU uh, extravaganza. And seeing him so broken down, even on the ship, like, ready to die, and then coming back, and just that raw despair and anger um, at the team, especially Captain America there, broke me. He broke my heart, and that's a testament to really good acting on Robert Downey Jr.'s end, and the fact that he can make me feel so elated in one scene and so down with another is really, really awesome. I mean, yeah, he's one with the role at this point, and we've been saying that for years, but this movie is really belongs to him, and we'll get into why that is when we get into our third act segment, obviously. But if you take a look at the six main Avengers, there are three very overt changes there's obviously Hulk, there's obviously Thor, but obviously Hawkeye, who didn't even get his shot at Thanos, just completely kind of trying to course correct the world that he wasn't able to save by going out and murdering everybody and slaughtering everyone, which makes sense for a character that was already kind of an assassin to begin with. Like, that's a that's a nice... Murdering bad guys, let's just clarify yeah, yeah, yeah. there. <laughs> murdering bad right. guys, but still, like, not even thinking about, like, jailing them or anything like that. Like, just straight up slaughters. 
And then there are the other three characters, the more subtle changes, which is, of course, Iron Man. I mean, Captain America, he's always been kind of the quote-unquote symbol for American patriotism and pride, and he has to pretend to still be this symbol, even though I'm sure he's as devastated as anyone else, but he's running these Survivor Sorrow meetings, and I thought that was a really nice scene where he's like, the world's in our hands, otherwise Thanos would have killed all of us. And he's right, but at the same time, that doesn't mean grief just goes away. Right. And then, of course, Black Widow is... So she's kind of taken ownership and is still trying to save the world, even though it's too late. That's the most subtly heartbreaking of all of them. I mean, she she absolutely went through the gamut just as much as everybody else. And her emotions, Scarlett Johansson, you know, very well played. She shows it really, really well. Oh, my God. Yeah, that scene right before Captain America shows up um, with like the, the peanut butter sandwich scene, if you will. Yeah. Just her expression after she hangs up the phone, realizing that like, there's just so much out of her hands and she's just overwhelmed by just how insignificant she feels in this whole thing. Yeah. That that was a fantastically acted scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the the very, very little bit where he comes in and talks about how he saw wells in the Hudson because the, the river's cleaner and this and that. She was trying to tell me Thanos' snap was a good thing. Right. Where it's like, are they trying to validate what Thanos did? Right. Like, I guess technically Cap would see the positives. So he is, but well, he's just trying his best. But I think they both know that. Yeah, yeah. Snap is bad. Yeah, they <laughs> lost half half the world. <laughs> so really, we get like forty, like thirty to forty straight minutes, basically with just the original team. But except for Ant Man, Paul Rudd really adds a lot with you know how grounded he is. I thought one of the more underrated scenes of the movie is when he sees adult Cassie, and just like breaks yeah. down. That's a beautiful moment for him too, because he realizes how time has passed him by. Paul Rudd's doing great work there, but he's also providing the usual comic relief, and he's getting the plot moving in a way that doesn't feel, like, contrived. Other than the rat activating the... <laughs> but the I, I, read a, I read an interesting thing about that. I mean, this might have been just conjecture, but people saying that, like, that was the 1 in 14 million chance that Doctor Strange was... I kind of don't think so. I think that's just funny. <laughs> I mean, it's in a storage garage for five years, and it didn't happen before it, so... I, I, didn't, I didn't have a big problem with it. But anyway, um... Yeah, and Paul Rudd is, he's a, such a good comedic actor, but we said earlier, his dramatic chops are good, and I actually love his delivery. The one-line delivery he has to Cassie, he just takes it all in and goes, you're so big. Yeah. Like, what the hell do you even say? I don't know, <laughs> but it's great. It fits so good. And he kind of brings a sense of urgency back to trying to save everyone. Yeah, yeah um, he really does. he figures out, like, shoot, we might actually have a chance of undoing the snap. Um, I just need help. To figure it out. And that's why I think the time jump is great because it's only been five hours for him. So he's still got that hero's urgency. They may have left it up behind a little bit. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's very true. Yeah, I think we should pivot towards act two here because we've talked about the grief and everything. But Ant-Man's contribution, he kickstarts the plot a little bit as we find our heroes start to find some kind of solution in the aftermath. And that kind of has to deal with the idea of destiny and nostalgia and memory going back to these greatest hits moments and looking for the stones before Thanos even knows, pulling off the quote-unquote time heist, which I kind of figured we would be getting into time travel. However, I don't know if anybody could have predicted the way it would go down and the amount of cameos and the overwhelming amount of callbacks we would get here. Yeah, that, that was very unique. That I was not expecting them to do that at all. That was very unique. Obviously, you have the Battle of New York from the right. original Avengers that kickstarted this entire mcu like we didn't think it was possible to reunite all these characters until that scene so seeing that again in theaters definitely was a lot of hype 
But low key, my favorite callback scene was when Peter Quill was getting the Power mm. Stone. That was funny. <laughs> Him dancing around like an idiot. That was very funny. Um, completely silently in the rat cave there. That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really liked and thought it had a great emotional impact when Tony and Cap go to New Jersey in what, the 70s, 80s? 1970. Yeah, a couple of weeks before Tony's born, I think, is the implication, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I really, really loved that. I thought it was really good that Cap got to briefly look at uh, Agent you know, Peggy Carter, but I really loved Tony talking to his dad. I thought that was such a great touch. Mm-hmm. If you needed hints going back through it, which obviously if we're in spoiler section, I can say that Iron Man eventually does give his life. If you go through this movie, they telegraph that quite a bit. And that sequence, especially giving him that closure, is a big moment of like, okay, yeah, he's gotten every, his arc is slowly closing shut. Yeah, because they they do kind of throughout the movie show his, a little resentment to his father. Like, oh, he always loved Cap. Oh, he always had issues. Like they show him, him having issues with him in Civil War and stuff like that. Right. And that talk just brought it all together. And I think it was huge that he gave him that hug with Cap watching in the distance. That's just a little mm, subtle yeah. thing. But like thematically makes sense. Let's talk about the character pairings when we break off and go to the time heist. Because I think all of the character pairings are perfect. Obviously, you've got Tony and Cap going on their adventures with Ant-Man along in tow for more logistical reasons. But pairing Bruce with the Ancient One is a really, really interesting call. First of all, a great mm. cameo, but... Science versus magic. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was a surprising cameo. Yeah, was not expecting that. <laughs> I appreciate them attempting to re-explain how time travel works, because what the MCU does here is definitely different from other movies, and it mostly makes sense. Um, the third act, there's some question marks if you want to look at this scientifically, if you will. But I appreciated that breakdown of yeah, what you're changing in the past does not affect the future. But you definitely have to correct the past later. Yeah. Definitely necessary exposition, which this movie actually had surprisingly little of, all things considered. Yeah, that scene's mm. very important, though, because it makes more some of the controversial decisions later make more sense. A little bit more sense. A little bit more. I feel like in terms of time travel movies, this movie does a slightly better job than most in terms of just structuring the plot. But it's it's not quite there in terms of like making sense <laughs> you, you don't have to necessarily turn your brain off but i feel like if you're over analyzing this section of the movie you're looking at the wrong part of the movie yeah yeah i i had slight slight things with that and that's what i was i couldn't say earlier but there are very itty bitty time travel things that i kind of go but just okay just go with it okay yeah it's, it's more of a vessel to keep the plot moving rather than the point of the movie like the point of the movie isn't time travel it's the point of the movie is saving everyone right there are small things where like in the rules of the movie like why didn't they use one of the test runs to go back to 1970 and go get those pin particles stuff like that you can you mm-hmm. can just nitpick for days but this movie doesn't deserve to have that kind of scrutiny because it's doing awesome things like putting captain america against captain america yes that was yes. very good <laughs> like awesome very, very good very funny scene and just a great action scene too yeah very very funny on two different levels the america's ass and bucky both Oh, yeah, the, the Bucky spoiler there was great. And, and the Hail Hydra right before it. Yeah, <laughs> that was my favorite. I oh, stole for me. <laughs> oh, sorry, Nadine. You guys didn't mention my favorite, though, which was I can do this all day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, so many, so many good ones. Just how different Cap has become since that first Avengers. Like he curses more in this movie than he ever has. Yep. Just such a subtle little thing. Just great. Great stuff. Yeah, and 
you could argue, oh, that's fan service. Yeah, it's fan service, and it's awesome. <laughs> right. The, the whole second it's act fan is... fan service, but at the same time, like, it makes sense. It makes sense plot-wise. Right. Like, they could run into each other there. And, like, yeah, Tony getting knocked out by the Hulk after the Hulk takes the stairs. Which also like, is very funny. Very, very funny, but I love when sense. he looks down at the staircase and is just getting so furious. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, all that stuff makes sense, but going back to the pairings, Bruce and the Ancient One, Nebula and War Machine, two broken, kind of disabled individuals putting them together. That's a little subtle, nice scene that I like. Oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really think about that. You're, I was wondering how you were going to mm-hmm. pair them, and you're right. Right. There's the scene where it's like the, uh, we work with what where we she got. breaks her arm yeah. out. She sticks her hand to get the orb, and yeah. yeah. Right, right. That makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Obviously, Natasha and Clint will unpack that in a second. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> that is the big pivot point to Act 3. Yeah. But then also, obviously, Rocket and Thor... Because he's Rocket has seen Thor at his high, so the fact that he's the one there at his low is really important. Yeah, and you know, it's slight sidetracked, but is is relevant. My brother had seen most, but not all of the Marvel movies prior to Endgame. He saw Captain Marvel like the day before, and he was still missing. I think Homecoming and Dark World. So he watched both Homecoming and Dark World before Endgame, and I was like, "You really didn't need to watch Dark World," but he's like, "He's like, I know, but I'm a completionist." And sure enough, second act rolls around, and I was like, son of a bitch. Who would have thought that would be the one? Because, again, they totally could have gotten around that by sending them to, like, the collector's office in, like, 2014. Tinfoil hat time. They know it's one of their weakest movies, so they wanted people to rewatch it after seeing Endgame. Like, oh, maybe Dark World wasn't that bad. Let's relive this. Right. <laughs> goes, you know what? You all don't like Dark World so much? We're going to put it in here and make you enjoy it. How do you like that? I think more likely it's one, we get to see Asgard one more time because we're probably not going to see Asgard again. That's very true. And two, it's so Renee Russo can have her big scene with him, obviously. And which was great. Yeah. Very, very well well And surprise Natalie Portman. Yeah. (laughs) Out of all the people to return after being written out of the MCU. (laughs) Although I did did read that she only did voiceover. That footage of her is from Thor The Dark World. Yeah, I figured as much. She didn't speak on camera. Yeah, she said before in the past that, like, she doesn't want to come back to Marvel or something like that. So the fact that he, like, she even came back is a miracle in general, but... But yeah, I thought that was so funny. My brother was like, see, it was important. I'm like, yeah, who would have thought? Yeah, I would have never thought. My God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Natasha and Clint, I think, is where we got to go next. Oof. Who wants to do it? It's just the first time I saw it, obviously very powerful scene, but it didn't hit me hard because for whatever reason, I expected it to be not permanent, even though I forgot about the rules of the Soul Stone. Yeah, I had a feeling it was going to be permanent. Did it feel like not cold, but like it didn't hit you in the gut like you wanted it to? Did anybody else feel that way or? Gamora hit me harder. Agreed. Although going into this movie, I was not expecting Black Widow to go. Me neither. Me neither. I thought she was the only safe So one. when it happened, I was like, wow, yeah. they really did it. Okay. I feel like it's a little bit harder to get just because you feel like uh, Nebula would have at least had an idea if she didn't outright know the rules of the Soul Stone beforehand or even Iron Man like warning them because he saw what happened to Peter Quill and Gamora getting killed there, you know? Like, yes, they were kind of unprepared going in there and not thinking that they would come back. I see that. Um, I feel like the big reason that didn't hit me personally as hard is that they didn't give Natasha the same send-off that they give Iron Man in Act 3. You know, she was just as much part of the team, but only Tony gets the big funeral. 
I didn't really think about that until my second viewing. That's true. If I'm being honest, yeah. and maybe that's just because I loved Iron yeah. Man too much. I mean, Hulk Hulk does a little toss back to it at the very end, but you're right. Even his reaction immediately afterward is kind of subdued, all things considered. He just throws a bench into the river. Right. Yeah. Uh, Captain America seemed more upset about it than anyone. Just like in terms of character arcs, and again, we can start to pivot towards the third act here. Sacrifice obviously is a big part of it, but the two of the main team that die are the two that make the most sense. Because if you think about where Black Widow and Tony started, they were probably out of the top six, were the closest to villains out of all of them. Quote unquote. A stretch, yeah. Obviously. Yeah, Widow was a cold-blooded assassin, red on her ledger. Barton had to rescue her out, but she still had a lot of redeeming in her own eyes to do. This is her final sacrifice. And obviously, Tony started as the narcissistic person that he was. Cap calls him out on the sacrifice play in Avengers, and now there was never a doubt that he would lay down his life for the world. Right. Does it a couple times. It's it's full circle for both of them. And not that the, anybody else dying would have been cheap. Yeah, you're right. I actually didn't think that way from Black Widow's perspective, but you're right. And I think that's why where we benefit from focusing on the original six characters, too, because that stuff can breathe better. Yeah. Yeah. Like, maybe the death didn't hit me as hard, but Clint and her's final conversation there did impact me quite a bit. I, I'm kind of torn whether I do or don't like this, but both of them literally fighting each other to decide who, who does it, who goes. And both their reasoning is great. Like, Clint, you get to reunite with your family. Yeah, but what I did after their passing was so bad, I don't deserve to be on this planet anymore. You do. I was, damn, okay. And then Black Widow retorts, you didn't judge me on my mistakes. I'm not going to judge you on, like, all this history that we know about awesome. both of them. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even Budapest. Even Budapest. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. So, like, any other small cameo things, any other second act things we want to get into before we move to... Keep it moving. Keep, keep it moving. moving. Keep it moving. Yeah, I was going to say this. I like both acts, but third act's my favorite, so... Yeah, I mean, this is where this is where things go wild. First of all, we haven't even talked about Thanos, really, at all. Let's talk about him a little bit, because Josh Brolin, obviously, he's not the main character anymore, but I still think they do a really good job with him, because we see how cunning he is, the way he manipulates Nebula. Karen Gillan's awesome in this movie, by the way. Nebula is probably my favorite character out of the, the top she six. She gets one of the most amounts of screen yeah, time. Yeah, I was not expecting that. Absolutely. Which I thought, I mean, that makes complete sense to me as far as, obviously, her relationship to Thanos. But we see how smart he is and just how insane he is by the way the events of Endgame restructure his plan. The big talk he has with the Holy Trinity before they all go into battle, which, oh my God. Ugh. Oh, yeah, oh. We'll, we'll get into the battle. We'll gush in a minute. We'll gush, we'll in, gush a minute, in a minute. But like <laughs> the point of making about Thanos is his idea that he's like, okay, this whole half of universe thing, thank you for showing me that doesn't work. I'll just kill all of you now and start over. <laughs> and they're like, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> like, yeah. Pause. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really interesting place to come from. And you completely understand why Thanos thinks that. He thinks this is his destiny. He thinks he's inevitable in terms of restructuring the universe or saving the right. universe. And Nebula's unintentional video footage through her memories thing really, I think, makes Thanos that much more of a villain. Yeah, he literally sees himself die, and that makes him more motivated. Yeah. Yeah, that makes him like, hell yeah. It's almost like like in, in Friends when uh, when people think Ross is terrible and Phoebe's like, I would kill to be unappreciated in my time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what made you think of that. But he sees himself die, and it's just like, wow, I did that well. I was that successful. I got to keep going. How did you get that in there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it worked, but all right. There's something else. <laughs> but yeah, he, like he's so, he's motivated to the point where he's a psycho, which he is. And how he gets there is just, 
terrifying. I, I love how they don't neuter him either. Like he's a great fighter still too. Like he kicks the crap oh, yeah. out of all of them, even without the gauntlet. Oh, yeah. He actually has to try. Like in Infinity War, he had the power stone already, so he wasn't really doing too much fighting. Fighting like he could punch someone, and that was the knockout blow half yeah. the time. Um, so here he actually has to show off his martial arts a little bit. And he does. Um, but, oh, my God, it is so satisfying to watch. <laughs> I love that double sword he has. That was sick. Let's just go into that big three battle. You got Thor, you got Captain America, and you got uh, Iron Man going at it with the big bad purple dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just badassery aside, I think the moment of the movie that um, is the equivalent to Thor arriving in Wakanda or yep. the original circle shot from uh, Avengers 1. Yep. The scene where Cap gets the hammer. Yes. I, I couldn't control myself. When I saw it start to shake, I literally <laughs> yelled, Cap! When the hammer started jiggling, I was like, I was like, oh, Thor's going to make his comeback. And then when it went to Cap, I was like, that's that's better. That's so much better. I'll <laughs> yeah. take it. Wow. It was so cool. Yeah. I'm not even mad. That's just impressive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm so, I'm okay with that. Oh my, such good fighting. And seeing Cap literally take him on, but still lose. Yeah. He's, he couldn't do it by himself. But he, he held his own for like a minute. Right. Well, the fact that he knows immediately what to do with the hammer is crazy. Like, I love that. immediately. So cool. He uses it against the shield. He channels like lightning immediately. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, so cool. And then we get probably one of the coolest desktop worthy scenes of the movie where all the Avengers are defeated, Thanos' army is coming, and it's Cap standing alone with Thor's I hammer. I love it. And the shield that Iron Man gave him, he is literally embodying all three Avengers. Yep. It's so cool. He will not give up. Yeah, that's the most subtle way of I can do this all day that he could have done. It's so cool. The whole battle is just so awesome. Oh, yeah, and then it gets absolutely insane because we see the first circle. Because we know it's coming. We we know the snap worked. Even before that, I love that we hear Sam on your left. Mm -hmm. How far do those comms go? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very magic. true. magic. Let them have their fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you hear Sam say on your left, the entire theater just lost their minds. When Panther walks through, very, very pointedly, the order of people that they picked to. Like... They knew how popular Black Panther was. I bet that was a rewrite. I yeah. bet he was second. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think Sam was probably first, and they were like, all right, hold on, Panther made $700 million. <laughs> yeah. going first. Make sure, the, make sure the girls are with him, too. <laughs> oh, man. But just really quick highlights. You had giant Ant-Man punching one of the Leviathans. Yeah. Ant-Man's boot crushing. Call Obsidian. Yeah. The Thanos, big yeah. Thanos Spider-Man taking him to the ground, and then Ant-Man crushing him. Right. Yeah, after Drax was stabbing him in the back, literally. Uh, Scarlet Witch going all out on Thanos, and Thanos oh, literally yeah. needing to fire his spaceship down yep. on the ground just awesome. to distract her. That was a great way of not cutting the nuts off her powers, but also making that not be the final blow. You know what I mean? Because she could have killed yeah, him absolutely. if she had, like, three more seconds. Right. I even think right before the, the charge, when both armies are standing at each other, I was like, I could watch them look at each other for another ten minutes. This is so awesome. Yeah. The suspense of the charge that's about to happen between Cap saying Avengers assemble and then Thanos pointing his sword out. I was like, I'm all in. I could watch this battle for right. days. And mm -hmm. by the way, we haven't talked about it at all, but Alan Silvestri's score, especially in that moment, 
incredible. Maybe his best oh, work yeah. in all of these movies, and that's saying something. Mm. When we started this podcast, we had kind of talked about how Marvel movies had a problem with their music, and they weren't really using their themes, with the exception of the Avengers theme. And since then, the marketing, and then especially for the big scenes like this one, and even back in Infinity War, using that Avengers score has made it just solidify in popular culture. Everyone knows that theme now because they've been using it and they used it to great effect here. They also do a really good job of integrating small character themes too, like the couple of notes from Ant-Man's theme or like when Captain Mm -hmm. Marvel takes out the ship, her theme very recognizably there. Thor's Asgardian theme, Cap, of course, his theme. They find ways to get them all in there. Yeah, Cap's is a little bit more recognizable because we've gotten more movies out of him. Great stuff. But back to the gushing. Go ahead, guys. The, The highlights. Yeah, I... We'll pick up where we left off because when he's firing down and all of a sudden people are just taking hit after hit after hit and then they redirect at the sky. It took me a second, but I was like, oh, first off, Captain Marvel taking out the ship was awesome. And then as the ship is exploding and falling and then right after that, we see Cap looking up at the ship as it's falling and we know they're they're good again and they're going to go after it again. Ugh. And then the, the passing around of the gauntlet, too. That was cool. Yeah, that was really like giving Black Panther a Mm. shot, having uh, Spider-Man ride on Mjolnir, riding on the back of Valkyrie and a Pegasus and a Pegasus. Yeah, (laughs) I was getting there. (laughs) Yeah, the movie's just all in. Iron Man and I guess I guess her name's Rescue. I Pepper. We'll just say her superhero name is Rescue, quote unquote. But the two of them back to back like that was awesome. We could just do this all day. What did you guys think of the big exactly like girl power shot? I thought it was cool in concept. But the fact that we killed Black Widow like half an hour earlier felt a little cheap. <laughs> it sucked for her. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that until you just yeah. said it. Actually, yeah, same. I was like, oh, very cool. Strong, strong Yeah, Marvel let's cut woman. the biggest one Black, out. Poor yeah. Black Widow. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, she did have it in Infinity War. Yeah. Which to me, yeah. like, the fact that they had that scene in Infinity War, they didn't have to do it again. Like, Spider-Man's, I don't know how you're going to get through that, all that. And I was like, she's Captain Marvel. She'll be fine. Like, she'll get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, doesn't but, need, she doesn't really need help. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was just going to be a Captain Marvel scene. Like, okay, Spidey's going to find out who she yeah. is. But then they all assembled. And I was like, that's that works, too. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was cool. I think we got to pivot to the, the big sacrifice point yeah. with Iron Man, right? Yeah, that's where we're headed. And, Drew, you brought this up earlier, but I want to just harp on it just because it's... You can just tell that Kevin Feige knew where these characters were going to go. In the original Avengers, they're fighting by the scepter. And Captain America says to Tony, you're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. And Tony says to Cap, everything special out of you came out of a bottle. Mm. And for them to have completely grown as characters, where not only is Tony ready to sacrifice himself, but Captain also has real proof that he is special with or without the super soldier serum because he was worthy enough to lift Thor's hammer on his own. They've both gone through these incredible transformations over the last dozen or so movies and to culminate here in the final moments where they're putting everything on the line was such superb story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Something very interesting, like a subtle fun fact that I read earlier this week. Him saying I am Iron Man wasn't originally in the movie. The editor suggested it because they were like, it's kind of weird that he says nothing when he snaps his fingers. But like, come on, that's the most perfect full circle thing ever. My goodness. Absolutely. Chills. Yeah, Chills. absolutely. So, yeah. so good. Little little crazy how he got all the stones off him that fast. But what? That's a. Well, it, it was his glove. 
True. I, I loved it, personally. I thought it was another great subversion of an action scene. It wasn't just Tony punching Thanos. It was Tony being smarter than Thanos and using his superpowers, in this case, his super suit, right. to save the day. And that's what Marvel just does so much better than any other superhero franchise. They use powers in creative ways. And even when it's a scientific power like Iron Man's, it absolutely pays off here in a way that you could only pull off in the MCU. Yeah, and how about Doctor Strange with the MVP not telling him too early into the battle? Because Doctor Strange knows all the way that he's going to be the one that has to kill himself. Like, he, he knows mm-hmm. that for a fact, but he doesn't tell him until it has to happen. You know what I mean? Because as, like, heroic as Tony has become, the fact that you're thinking about it, you're going to die in a little bit will probably get to you and make you doubt right. Hey, man, in 20 minutes. <laughs> right. One split second off and Thanos wins again. So the fact that Strange doesn't tell him until the perfect moment possible is really crucial. And I think a really well-structured part of the entire sequence. But let's get to let's get out of the battle into the funeral because we got to we got to wrap up at some point. Yeah, <laughs> we knew this would happen. The funeral, which I think they could not have done better. The speech he gives when he's the hologram where he talks about like death isn't always awful no matter what, everything will be okay. And that obviously I love you 3000, which is ugh, yeah. just heartbreaking that they, mm. they cast an amazing little girl to play Morgan. Yeah. She was, yeah, she yeah. was great. I think my favorite part was the cheeseburger. Me too. Line. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause that was one of my favorite parts of the original Iron Man was just, you want a cheeseburger really? And it was played out for laughs yeah. and for not only the writers to understand that, your audience is going to get this reference and just the delivery of happy saying, I'll get you all the cheeseburgers you want. Crushed. Absolutely crushed. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. I oh. loved, I loved the sending proof. Tony Stark has a heart out to see. It's such like a Viking yeah, funeral that. moment, but it's so touching. And the fact mm-hmm. that everyone's there, that amazing tracking shot. Yes. I was just going to say that. I love the tracking shot of everybody there. Even Pim, you know, who never really got along with Stark was like, worth it, got to be there. Yeah, I mean, like, Secretary State's there. Like, the, half yep. of these people here are war mm-hmm. criminals, but he's still there just to pay his respects. Uh, quick survey. Did you guys recognize the kid from Iron Man 3, the first watch? Because I did not. No, I didn't. I did. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. I saw it in his face. I like Iron Man 3 a lot, too, but yeah, he <laughs> puberty hit that kid hard. <laughs> I did not recognize him. That kid's pretty important to Tony's development. I like I don't know how they got his oh, contact sure. information, but oh, yeah. <laughs> and finally, I think we need to pivot to the choices with Thor at the end and the choices with Cap at the end. Let's talk about Thor real quick first, guys. Is it confirmed that his contract is now extended? I saw that on Twitter. I don't know if it was confirmed. Uh, I I can't say for sure. He's not interested in being done as much as like Evans and Downey are. I am so game for as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. What a brilliant idea that I never didn't even think yeah, of. Yeah, because the first time I watched it, I'm like, his send-off works, but it's kind of weird. But then thinking about it, I'm like, he works as a Guardian. Absolutely, he works yeah. as a Guardian. I'll I take mean, that. I mean, he works better as a Guardian. Thor Ragnarok established he works better as that than he does as, you know, what he was supposed to be. I hope we see more of the Valkyrie, too. Yeah. I think we might get a movie just about her, but we'll talk about the future of Marvel soon. Let's get to Cap here. <sighs> I absolutely love the choice. Cap going back and like Tony learned how to be selfless and Cap learned to live a little bit for himself and he actually got his dance with Peggy. What a great final shot. Oh yeah. I love the line where he's like, I'm going to get some of that life that Tony was always telling me to go get. Exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. They, they even directly put a candle on it in the movie. 
Um, and even the handoff to Sam with the shield is excellent choice. Just because Sam has been with Cap basically for as long as he woke up after the time jump way back in Winter Soldier. And Bucky's got a Bucky's got a difficult history. Absolutely, yeah. And Bucky, I've I've seen internet people complain about it. Bucky effectively is a terrorist most of <laughs> yeah. the world. Him holding him holding the Captain America <laughs> right. shield is not good PR, even if he's a good guy now. <laughs> he literally killed the parents of Steve's like best teammate. <laughs> right. And the guy who made the shield in the first place. So yeah, let he does not need the shield. He's got the arm. He'll be good. <laughs> So yeah, I think that's really good future building. I loved Captain America as an old man, just the idea of him growing old and having his life. My only complaint is that the time travel aspect, just I still can't wrap my head around how him going back in the past and changing the past affects him in the future. Is this a different cap? There's there's a lot of questions there. Agreed. And I think you just have to kind of take it at its face as the consequences of the time travel and what we got, which is what we just talked about, versus the how. The how is not as important as what we got. The way I justified it after seeing it four times, because the first few times I was like, absolutely. <laughs> He's not kidding, it's four. He, it is four. It was supposed to only be three, but it accidentally turned into four. He goes back, he delivers all the stones. I think he gives Mjornir back to 2013 Thor. I think that's where that goes. It would absolutely make sense that he did. Makes sense. He goes and lives that life, and then he he goes and he time travels back to this moment. So, like, it's like he never left, but he's still got the bracelet, right? So he lives lives out that life in an alternate reality where, like, nobody from this reality can be affected. And then he comes back as Peggy dies. But then wouldn't he need the stands that Hulk was operating to come back to this reality? Like, as long as he has the GPS, isn't he all right? If he lives into the, the future, maybe the Hulk stand still ha- is still there. Oh, yeah. There, there's definitely something missing, I think, to fully... It really matters more thematically than it does logistically. Exactly, exactly. Which, it works yeah. so well. And I even love when Sam is like, do you want to talk about it? And he just goes, no, I don't think I will. Yeah. Like, it's for mm-hmm. him, and that's it, and that's... Beautiful. I'm fine with that. I think the choice to not have a post credit scene was the perfect one because it treated it kind of like a curtain call. I love the actor signatures. That was so classy. I like that a lot. Yes, yeah. I love that. I, I bet you there's going to be movies that try to copy that. Maybe not yeah, right away because they'll get called out on it. Oh, God. Ju- Justice League 2 does it yeah. with Jason Momoa and everybody's like, boo! <laughs> His signature is just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, this is your last chance. Any Anything else you can think of? I mean, we could talk all day, but we literally did cover it act by act. Yeah. I do want to go over really quick Hulk's sacrifice. We were talking about why he needs to be Professor Hulk at the end. And the whole idea that he's the gamma radiation, that that this was his destiny. I don't disagree with you, Nate, that I would have liked to see the transformation more than just a jarring cut. But I think he needed to be Professor Hulk by that point. It couldn't just be in like a third act. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that he fulfilled his arc and came into his own character and learned to control the Hulk. I just wish we saw it on screen yeah. is all. Yeah. All right, last, last thing for me. I like that um, Black Widow gets emails from Rocket Raccoon. I think that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of... <laughs> that's not where I thought you were going to do go. have a little self-awareness here and there. Like uh, Hawkeye talking to Scarlet Witch in Age of Ultron. He's like, we're fighting robots. The city's flying. I've yeah, grown out. you need to have that. Every little thing Marvel does more or less yeah. works. Very smart people over there. All right, I want less than 30-second wrap-ups here. Nate, final thoughts. Really solid movie. If anything... One of the best series finales we've seen, movies aside. Like, it was just a great finale. It wrapped up everything very nicely. 
It made us care about the characters that we've grown so attached to. And just a great send-off all around. Uh, really, really solid movie. Just in my personal headcanon, it's going to fall in Infinity War's shadow a smidge just because Infinity War was so cool and so different. But this is just a sprawling achievement. There's just so much going on here that worked. And the fact that they pulled this off is such an achievement in and itself. And the fact that it's a good movie on top of it is incredible. So hats off to Marvel. And I hope you can continue to entertain us because it's going to be really hard to come back from this. Hey, Jake, can you follow directions better when I say 30 seconds? <laughs> uh, nope. But yeah, ditto. This is easily top five Marvel. My top four being the Russo Brother movies, actually. But yeah, it's it's a great finale. I've heard little things that people were... Disappointed is a funny word, but they think they were hoping it would be better than it was. Like, it was just really good, but not amazing. And that it falls in Infinity War Shadow. I think Infinity War had this overwhelming go-go-go aspect that worked, where... Endgame is just a different formula. That said, Endgame is, it was great. A great finale. Well, most of the things they did worked. Start to finish, top to bottom, just great. We follow these characters for so long, and they get such a great payoff. Absolutely great movie. Uh, I probably will see it at least one more time in theaters. Andrew will see it another four. Oh, I'm done. No, um, I'm done, man. It's I just... promise. <laughs> no, you got to see it in IMAX. You're not done. Oh, I'm done for the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be in theaters still by that I mean if you're not a Marvel fan then whatever but this is a great <laughs> this is a great movie it's an unbelievable franchise it's literally an amazing stamp in history I know down the road I'll show all these to my kids someday like it's just it's just excellent it's just an excellent thing thank you Kevin Feige for everything actually nitpick I have I was hoping they'd do more with Stanley but God bless him he, he brought these characters to us literally gave us all so much joy so great movie great finale it's weird because Endgame ostensibly is a part two, but it's really it's tough to call it a part two because it's very much its own entity. But I think in that way, it works even better. It doesn't feel beholden to anything else. It is this beautiful tribute to everything that's come before. It's a very hopeful push forward towards what comes next. I loved it. I thought it was excellent. I think it did a lot emotionally that I wasn't expecting, and it has me excited to come back. And also, he has like 10 minutes of screen time, but Tom Holland is amazing. And I can't wait to see more from him. Soon. Oh, Real yeah. Soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't even talk about him. We didn't at all. That's why I wanted to give him a little shout out there. That will finally, finally do it for our review of Avengers Endgame. I'm sure there's plenty more to talk about. If you want to talk to Indeed. us, please comment. Please email us. Please contact us. Nate, where can they do that? All right. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Next time on the main show, we are going to be talking about Nate's favorite thing, The Hustle, with with Anne Hathaway and da, Rebel da, da, Wilson. Da, da, da. Oh. Just kidding. We're talking about Detective Pikachu. I was like, wait, we didn't say, we didn't agree on that. Uh, <laughs> I am going to smack you through the computer screen here. <laughs> and what's that? I snap my fingers. Nate and Jake's mics are closed, and that'll be the end of the Middle Seats podcast. For Nate Lungarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We will be back soon.